0: into your life from this. Now with without further ado, let's get into this podcast and enjoy. Hi, welcome to Positive Podcast. In this episode I am joined by Julia Geisman. Julia is a passionate diversity and inclusion advocate, insightful communicator, systemic problem solver, corporate alignment, speaker, coach and author. Julia is also the founder and CEO of Career Agility. In this podcast we talk about diversity and inclusion, we talk about the corporate world, mindset, business, working as a team effectively and much more. Now sit back, relax and enjoy this episode. Tuning in, Find out how to, how to win, go along and tell
1: a friend. Marathon, you know the game, keep on running, never end, getting better, make amend. Adam got it, Adam got it, Adam got it, Adam got it. possibility, 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 possibility,
0: tune in. All right. Julia, it's great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing?
2: Good. Thanks for having me, Adam. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. No, you're welcome. And it's really great to have you on the show. And I've kind of thought I'd introduce you um, into it by, you know, saying that you're the founder of Career Agility and you've got lots of different experience in many different sectors. Um, You know, how did you kind of like get into this field and what, you know, what is Career Agility about? And, uh, you know, some of the work that you've done and, you know, we can touch base on some topics as well.
2: Okay. Um, So I have a long history of working with the human infrastructure of an organization. In other words, about the people side. And um, so that includes learning and development, going in and doing organizational development and management, leadership development, change management, anything that has to do with the people side of doing business, creating an environment for um individuals teams to uh, individuals and teams to to thrive i actually was more of a generalist until probably about 10 years ago when i got a little bit pissed off about the lack of women in leadership roles and that and also i was teaching in a a graduate program a graduate mba program and i was watching the women in the classroom and um, anyway, I don't wanna go into a, a huge explanation of that, but th- I ran an experiment and it was very interesting to see the dynamics between the genders. So I, I just said, I have to do something about this. So I started focusing on gender, you know, uh, gender differences in the workplace, which then morphed into a broader conversation about the intersection of gender and position within an organization. Because what I know about organizations is if they don't have data, they kind of say, well, maybe, maybe not. And they shoot from the hip. But once you see the data, which is indisputable, then you can map out a strategic plan, a strategy that really leverages the resources more appropriately. In other words, you can identify the areas that really do need attention and then allocate the appropriate resources versus investing those resources in something that's okay. And then you have a baseline. Once you have a baseline, then you can also measure. So in addition to having a baseline baseline for mapping a strategy, you have a baseline for measuring. And inclusion is one of those areas that is difficult to quantify everybody will talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but, and give you metrics around headcount, which is you know, how many people do you have and what doing what? How many people did you recruit? How many people did you retain from an underrepresented group? But when it comes to inclusion, that's an area that organizations really have a difficult time measuring. And to, in my opinion, inclusion is in fact the DNA of diversity and equity. Because if you don't have an inclusive work environment, doesn't matter how diverse it is, doesn't matter how equitable it is, people are not going to stay. People who are underrepresented, like women, people of color, and people with disabilities, LGBTQ folks, they're not going to stay. So inclusion is really, really a critical issue that companies, and it's not, by the way, individual experience, it's more around employee perception of the culture and in fact i've been getting feed information from people saying people you know how do you know what the employee perception is and that truly is the key for measuring an inclusive work environment so that's what i focus on and it's fascinating it's frustrating and it's so important so important
0: yeah i, I think i think that's really interesting and it's um I think I think it's great you know with the work that you do that you know you're 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 passionate and you care about you know what you're you're doing and these particular topics and would you say like you know this this topic that we we're, we're talking about would you say it's kind of relative kind of to all industries and all jobs and all kind of workplaces or do do you think it's kind of some some kind of workplaces or, or businesses is kind of you know more concentrated if that makes sense like for example I know um, I, I saw articles in, in in the UK you know with the with the police force um, and, and military and that kind of thing like sometimes certain so is a certain percentage of people in the police force from certain backgrounds if that makes sense and they're trying to encourage more people from other kinds of backgrounds to you know join and sign up to make it more you know they made it more diverse now if that makes sense do, you, do you,
2: yeah, it does. Um, what you're really talking about, Adam, is that there are certain industries that tend to be uh, gendered versus other industries. And the, like with when you were talking about the police, the thing about police is that if you have all white males who are the, four, who are the force, and I say that, you know, with kind of air mm. quotes around it, mm. they're not going to really understand how to deal with women who may be in crisis. Or they're not going to really understand the dynamics of communities of color. So the important thing is to have diversity in order to have a diversity of perspectives and a broader understanding of the constituent base that you are serving. And that, that includes the police force as well as as well as all industries. So for example, there are certain industries here in the US that are notoriously toxic for women and people of color, you know, they're run run by, you know, uh, white guys. And those are typically the tech world, uh, financial services, and uh, sciences, the STEMs, STEM industries. Conversely, there are organizations or there's um, industries that are very female heavy, you know, in that you have nonprofits nursing, for example, tends to be female oriented. Um, anything that has to do kind of more people oriented, oftentimes it's the women who, who are the dominant gender. Sometimes it's white women who are the dominant gender, and that also has to shift. So if any, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier as far as exclusion. If, if you have a, a workplace that is homogenous, it excludes a lot of possibilities. It excludes the possibilities of having a diversity in product development, because you're not going to know what that other constituent or the unrepresented group really needs. You can't speak to a group without knowing the group. So for example, for years, the car industry, cars were designed around men. And and women women make 80% of the decisions in car buying. Well, they have certain things that they want to see in a car. Well, if it's designed by men, are they really going to understand what the women want? No, they're not, because they don't have that input. So when we start excluding groups of people or we start excluding ideas, new ideas because it doesn't line up with what we think we want or it doesn't confirm, it doesn't confirm what our thinking is, or it challenges the status quo, you'll never get innovation at all. You know, and then what happens is it becomes a them and us type of situation. You know, we're gonna we're gonna protect our 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 side of the, the the house, so to speak, and screw you. And it doesn't matter what you need, because when when we're present, you're not. And that that creates all sorts of dynamics. Within, you know, I mean, even within remote meetings, for example, I any meetings, even face-to-face meetings, there are certain people that are excluded from the conversation. Is it conscious? Not necessarily. Let me give you an example. Women oftentimes will make a suggestion in a meeting, which will frequently be passed over until a guy, a dude, makes that same suggestion. And then everybody jumps on it as if it's really good. But it was, it came from a woman first. Her opinion was excluded. That is also true with people of color. You know, their their input is oftentimes minimalized, minimized rather. So that's the exclusionary type of perspective or thinking that that limits possibilities. It it limits people feeling um, a sense of affiliation. You know, if, if people don't feel as if they belong somewhere and that they're making a contribution, they are not going to stay. And there are, there's a basic human condition, two human conditions that are really important. Everybody has it. One is the need to feel useful and the need to take action. That is, they're, they are part of the human condition. And if we don't feel as if we... Can take action, or that we're use uh, that we're useful. We're not going to stay in that environment. We just aren't. So the implication for businesses, for example, is the cost to replace an employee can can be twice the base salary. To say nothing of the IP that's walking out the door. To say nothing of you know. Um, the subtle, uh, the subtle learnings about the uh, corporate culture. There's, there's all sorts of stuff that goes along with this and people, it, it, there's a system and it has a cascading effect, you know, and, and people typically are very siloed. They say, this is the problem without seeing everything else that goes along with it. So that was a yeah. long answer to a question.
0: Yeah, no, I, no, it's absolutely fine, and I, I think, I think you know, it's a really great answer to it, and I think, like as you mentioned, that there are so many elements to this, this um, uh, what do you call it, like topic? You know, this, this, uh, what this, this subject that we're talking about. There's so many kind of roots and uh, ties to it because there's so many elements to it in lots of different careers and jobs, and lots of different people and social classes and, um, you know, sexual orientation, and it's, it just kind of, it just kind of dominates, doesn't it? And I was um, reminded of a few things and some things that that I've noticed, um, you know, working in places or things I've seen in the media or films even. And um, I I was kind of thinking about when, you know, I worked in one place, and there was this, you know, like a certain social class and then, you know, a certain kind of background, a person would go to this place. And I would see people sometimes, you know, turn up to this place and I could see that they felt a bit uncomfortable, like they shouldn't really be there or, you know, these kind of things. And I would reassure them and say, look, it's fine, you know, you know have a, have a, sit down, have a seat and, and make them feel welcome. But I, I, I could just, you know, I kind of saw that, you know, That people, because like some places might be predominantly, you know, maybe a certain class or certain kind of background, and it's it's been going on for years. And where where do you think um, when you've worked, you know, worked with people or companies, where's the kind of like starting point to kind of you know start addressing things, if that makes sense?
2: Oh, this is a really interesting um, point. So some companies just know it's the right thing to do, you know, because they, they recognize the value of having diversity within the organization. And they're early, it's like technology, you have your early adopters. These, and they know that there's a value to it, both from a, a moral perspective as well as a financial perspective then there are other companies that are shamed into it shame public public shaming like google has been publicly shamed about the lack of diversity or the sexual harassment okay financial services same thing you know so those there are companies that are shamed into doing something about it and then there are other companies that are the late adopters but but they're suffering from finan- they they're being driven by a financial decision so what's happening now you know when covid hit it was like oh my god nobody's going to talk about diversity and inclusion at all they're going to be scrambling and thinking about how to make money understandable and then the killing of george floyd happened and all of a sudden everybody's on a racial justice bandwagon you know, there has been an uptick, for example, of hiring um, diversity uh, diversity uh, officers, diversity and inclusion officers, chief diversity officers. But the question is, do they have the funding to really do anything? And that becomes another issue that you, the people, the companies oftentimes will go through the motions. So I read a statistic and I can't remember all the details of it as far as what the percentages are except for one percentage. So companies are talking a lot about racial equity, diversity, and inclusion, and so forth. A lot of companies are. The next category of companies is that they're making monetary contributions to social justice organizations, community-based organizations, and so forth, because they're motivated to do something or because they have to do something because customers will will end up not supporting them. And then there is the group of people of companies that are really doing something. And out of this um, survey, I think it was about 1,000 companies, only 18% of the companies are actually doing something to change their culture. Only 18%. That's astounding when you think about the spread. So what you have here now currently is there's a lot of lip service and a lot of going through the motions. But the real question is, is it authentic action? Is the CEO of an organization really standing present in it and, and championing DEI and i and saying, this has to change. We screwed up. We had a terrible culture. We're committed to doing something about it. And a lot of people don't like to admit to make mistakes, you know, fundamentally. So mm. yeah, I, I, it's really fascinating. But you brought up you brought up an interesting thing about that feeling excluded. We have all felt excluded at some point in our lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it is it's it's pretty mind blowing, isn't it, when you think about the kind of the times that we live in and the fact that so little you know, so a little percentage of companies are actually, you know, doing anything to make that kind of forward step. Um, and I've definitely seen it, you know, in some places that I've gone to, like, I mean, I, I've gone to some places or towns or I've worked in some places and 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 people have, have, have made me feel quite excluded. Um, and they've said, oh, that, that accent isn't from around here sometimes right uh, and, and it made it made me feel really uncomfortable and I could see these people talking to people who they knew from their area but I was kind of treated a certain way because I wasn't actually from that town or village or, or whatever you know that place and I'd never experienced it in my life ever ever up until that point up until I was like I, think I was 20 I'm 26 now you know. and and um you know i I've Seen other people that i know who've been treated a certain way probably based on 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 you know color and stuff like that and it you know i i couldn't be one of those people i think a lot of people are very tunnel visioned and they you know they're not very they're a bit deluded if that makes sense but i think like the, the world that we live in I, I i think i see a lot more companies being more diverse but i think you know uh, still more needs to be done um I think, you know, especially at the top, if that makes sense, you know, because it all kind of rolls oh. down, if that it all kind of rolls down and trickles into you know, the work for workforce and society or you know, perhaps, you know, for corporations and higher up as well. If that makes sense.
2: No, oh, absolutely. And um, it's interesting. And I I know in the US there's a new generation coming through the education system, you know, the Gen Z. They are really looking at corpor- uh, companies in a very different way than people have in the past. So they're going, they look for diversity. They want to work in a diverse environment. They want to work for companies that have some type of social, invo- social um, corporate social responsibility and involved with some type of social movements. They want companies to have a sense of ethics. You know, I mean, it's the, that's my student base, well, you know, teaching the, in the university. That's what they tell me. They don't want to work for a company that's not diverse. And one of the things that they look for is who's in the leadership. I can always tell an organization, they may have DE&I, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. They may talk about it. But if you look at their leadership team, it's not diverse at all. And women, for example, are slotted into traditionally female roles: HR, marketing, or internal counsel—you know, council, in-house counsel. Those are very traditionally allocated, so to speak, to women. Mm. You know, but do you you see very few women as the um, head of technology, uh, the uh, the chief financial officer? You know, COO, very few, obviously very few CEOs. So, and then there are people of color. And if you ever get into, if you have an opportunity to sit down with somebody of color to find out really have an authentic, hello.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Having an authentic conversation about it. It's extraordinary.
0: Mm. Sorry, there's a car being beeped outside my fingers I'm talking to you um, yeah, that's it, that's it exactly and it's it's so it's so key, you know and you know to to look at these these topics and it really needs to be looked into a lot more. I mean I, I mean they are doing work on it, but you know people need to have these conversations a lot more and I think, you, there's a, there's a film I watched. I know it's like a comedy. I'm not going to go too off topic, but I'm um, Anchorman Two, and it's 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 a comedy, but it's based on around like anchors. You know, when, during was it the 60s or the 70s, and it was mainly male male predominantly you know, predominantly male. And there's a scene where you know there's a lady, and, and she's you know she's of color, and she's like in charge, and all the guys are like, whoa. Like, you know, ladies in charge now. What's what's going on? And it's 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 so wrong that you know that is still kind of probably like I said, kind of going in, into jobs in society. And I've seen it, you know, working in hotels and in, in uh, kitchens, like ma- like mainly males who are the, the head chef or you know the chefs in charge. That kind of thing. I mean, there there are the women in hospitality who are head chefs. I'm not saying that they're not. Does that make sense? But you know, you see it, I've seen it working in places. So I've probably seen a couple of like, you know, women hire up chefs, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the interesting thing is that, oh, well, I once had a conversation with the, uh, one of the CEOs of GE, this was a while ago. And I didn't, we got into a conversation about gender before I knew he was the CEO because he, he wasn't very forthcoming about it. His role at the company, and and his question to me was, well, why do you think this still persists? And you know, I told him that he wasn't going to like the answer before I gave him the answer, because it's a cha- it's challenging. And so I I said to him, look, you know, it's because of the white male power structure as it exists today. And that's not to say, and anybody who, number one, anybody who has privilege doesn't understand what the other people who do not have privilege experience, there's absolutely no way. It's not part of your referential framework. It's what you were saying, Adam. You have never been in an experience prior to going to that town or village where you were excluded. you never had that experience. And so if if you've never, if you have a certain privilege and privilege is invisible to those who have it, by the way. Absolutely invisible. Mm. That um, it's not part of your referential framework. If it's not part of your referential framework, you you, you don't know it exists, nor can you fully rock Mm. what people who experience not having privilege experiences. So, for example, um, I don't think, yeah, you know, I'm a woman. I my family was my family background is kind of wacko, yeah. And I never, I never <laughs> felt like I had privilege, ever, you know, ever. And, mm-hmm. and and people would say to me, "You have privilege." I'd, what are you talking about? I don't have privilege. Until I had a conversation with a, um, a friend of mine who's a woman of color. She said, "Okay." Let me, let me explain. Let me give you an example. I said, okay, fine. She said, when you walk into a store, nobody watches you. When I walk into a store, everybody watches me. And, and it was so true. Mm. So that's an example of me not realizing I have privilege in a way that a person of color does mm. not. There's a power, and then I did something really stupid in a, in a workshop, you know, we were given a scenario where a woman of color had a great relationship with her manager and then her manager left and she had a new manager, and it was a problem and so forth and so on. And I said, well, she, why doesn't she sit down with her manager, the new manager and, you know, build a relationship and try to work it through and so forth. And I realized there's a power structure that exists And I was so wrong because the power structure in her, uh, the power structure may not have allowed her to do that. Where Mm. I could as a white woman talk to another white woman in that same way and say, help me understand as opposed to a woman of color could not do that as easily.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I make us feel really upset, you know, when I think about it. Um, it's, you know, it's quite raw. It me. like I mean, like, it's, 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 it, it, you know, it shouldn't be happening, you know, and I think it's, you know, you hear things like that, you know, stories like that, and that's just like one story of however many that um, are, are happening. And I've, I've got a lot of friends of color and different races and backgrounds and, I treat everyone as like you know, like a blank canvas almost. Everyone's you know a person; they're all different, and that's absolutely fine. Um, yeah, it's 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 definitely an issue, and I think you know by by the work that you're doing and, and addressing it and looking at it from the ground up is definitely you know one of the ways forward to highlighting you know okay, so however much percentage of people and that do you know what I mean? Like looking at it from from the foundations up and. It's definitely I think one of the ways forwards. Um but I, I watched a documentary not too long ago. I won't go too too topic too much. But um it was basically they followed the journey of uh, different students in the UK who were going to university. You might kind of know where I'm going with this, but um they basically did the same course, same kind of similar degrees um if you know one of the top, some of the top universities in the UK. And the they followed an Indian guy and they followed a British guy and the Indian guy is from a different class and this British guy is from a different class and the, they both finished university, both graduated. The British guy got a job pretty much straight away. The Indian guy couldn't get a job for okay. months and he had to go back to university. Well, what, He chose to go back to university to do a master's because he thought if I get a master's and that's going to give me a better opportunity at getting a job. But he then he's acquiring all that debt. And I looked at it, and it was like, you know, because he's working class, and he's Indian, and they picked the guy who, who wasn't from a working class, wasn't from, you know, the, these kind of things. And it, it quite shocked me, because you think, well, they're both going to the same university, both doing similar degrees, but one of them can't, can't get a job. And you think, well, there's something you know, deeper, deeper that, you know, it's been runs deep.
2: Definitely. So, you know, we all tend to gravitate towards people who are like us. We tend to do that. And I mean, if you go back, way back, way back, way back when, you know, prehistoric times, well, times when people were still living in caves.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, um, they had to know who was a member of their tribe. Otherwise they wouldn't survive. So it was a survival issue. It was a survival instinct. And you know, when you think about human beings, we're not that old as a species. We're only like 50 million years old, Mm. you know? So there's still things, tendencies in us that have been, are still hardwired. Mm. Like for, for example, the way men and women communicate very different. We say the same words, but the way it's interpreted and the expectations around those words are very different. You know that that goes back goes back. I mean, women, for example, in in business and people of color, we walk a fine line between me, being heard or being interpreted as or or having our what we say interpreted mm. as too aggressive. Mm. So so you know one of the one of the examples I oftentimes give is. You know, a woman could say something, and in fact, they've done studies on this. A woman will say something. In fact, there was a study that that, um, that they did on ABC or one of the uh, local news one the, Yeah, one of the uh, whatever TV TV stations.
0: Yeah, outlets. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they um, they had two actors, a male and a female, saying exactly the same thing. With exactly the same tone and asked people to evaluate each one. They, the people who were evaluating each these two people, all felt the guy was great. That he was, you know, personable, yeah, that they really wanted to work with him. But they said the woman was too aggressive and that it was going to be difficult to work with her. Same words. Same tone, different body. Mm. So if if you are not a privileged individual, you walk a fine line. Mm. So the, the question is, how do you get beyond that? You know, I, I actually I uh, did a posting. You know, the EU has this um, regulation of having certain number of women on boards. A certain percentage. <clears throat> well, now that you're out of the, you know, now the Britain is <laughs> it's probably not important.
0: Yeah. But, oh, but geez. You're missing <laughs> yeah. out, Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, I mean about having not having women on boards. No, but yeah. the UK has been pretty good about it. Um, so there was this article about basically making sure there are enough women, x number of women on boards. And I posted it on LinkedIn, LinkedIn. And the comment that I made on this was, gee, do you have to legislate change or will it grow organically?
1: Mm.
2: And, I, and I said, my suspicion is that you have to legislate it first and then the change will come because it will become embedded in behavior. First of all, I had 5,000 views Eight hundred comments, and I by men, by men, angry. One guy called me evil, because I knew that wasn't true, and it was extraordinary to see what the pushback was, and they were all white men. So, so you talk. We're talking about disrupting the status quo, Adam, which is why why people resist change hmm. and this is this is a monumental change and you know look at what happened in the US and the storming of the Capitol yeah did you see any person of color in there hmm.
0: yeah it's it's um it is quite fascinating isn't it when you when you think about you know, these these things we're talking about. And um in, in in like you said, how it still goes on. And you know, like um I've I've got friends who who've told me their experiences where they've been affected by it and they they've had things happen. And you know, I, I had a friend who worked in a call center, you know, and she's Indian. And she said she she didn't really get any sales, you know, because of you know how she sounded of her accent and voice. So, you know, they were kind of had to try and she said she basically tried to put on like a British kind of accent. And right. people were she was making more sales. Right. And do you think that does that tie you would you say that kind of ties? Yeah, you know into how people Absolutely. kind of think and work and someone said it to me once said oh you have an advantage because you know because you're because you're your accent but you know i can't help you know my voice it just do you know to me these kind of things like so consciously how some people think and how they kind of perceive things or people
2: yeah so going back to exclusion yeah. you know and then there's an inclusive mindset that counterbalances Again, we gravitate towards people that sound like us, look like us, think like us. We create a bubble around that. We do, people typically do. We exclude new possibilities, new ideas, again, because it doesn't align with what our thinking is or it may be too abstract for us to get our heads wrapped around it. We exclude um, new experiences. Okay, because again, we don't want to comfort. We don't want to venture out of our comfort zone. You know, and they're caught. Co- pri- there's a price to be paid for that. So, um, Steve Jobs did a, a commencement speech at Stanford uh, a, num- a number of years ago, and in that speech, he said, "You have to connect the dots. The more dots you have, the more you can connect." And so, when we start excluding, experiences, new ideas, people, um, new whatever, we eliminate some of those dots. So then our picture when we connect those dots is really quite um sketchy. You know, it doesn't have yeah. a lot of detail to it. I mean I was thinking about you know do they have the expression of FOMO over there?
0: Yeah yeah it's mainly you know?
2: I've, yeah.
0: I've, I've seen it on social media a lot yeah
2: yeah fomo fear of missing out so people are, everybody has a fear of missing out it's like missing out on experiences missing out on fun in boston it's missing out on getting a parking space or getting into the <laughs> roundabout. it is insane but we all have a fear of missing out fear of missing out on a promotion fear of missing out on a financial opportunity fear of of being rejected because we don't look the same. You know, fear, fear, fear. But here's the irony of it all. We exclude. Mm. So we exclude. We exclude people. We exclude, as I said, we just exclude all the time. And yet we have the big fear of being excluded.
1: Mm.
2: So it's, it's almost a paradox. We don't wanna be excluded, and yet we exclude all the time, all the time. And and I was thinking about it, I was thinking well, what happens if we exclude an experience or a new idea or meeting a new person or going Mm. to a new place? What we have done is eliminated another, a possibility of another memory that enriches our life.
0: Mm.
2: Because our memories are based upon experiences
0: yeah no i definitely agree and i think if if people continue to exclude people by you know color social class or you know in whatever then it's always going to going to happen isn't it do you think yeah and
2: it's also an educational background i've been excluded because i don't have an ivy league background here in the u.s
0: yeah it's is it I think I think it's wrong and um I I saw like a you know like on TikTok you know these funny videos and stuff like that yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw one which I shared on LinkedIn today and it was like applying for a job in 1970 and the guy was saying oh yeah yeah you start start on Monday and it was like applying for job in 2021 he's like I've got a bachelor's degree and I've got this and this and the guy was like yeah and he, he gets the papers and he <laughs> he frozen, and it's kind of like you know. It's kind of like that. And I know some people said they just start a job, you know, years ago straight away. But, but like what I'm saying is, um, I don't want to go too off topic. But it's it's getting you know, if you think if you think someone's got if somebody comes from a certain background or certain class or or colour, it's it's kind of keeping them in that place. They're they're being kept in that place, and. You know, it's trying, if you're someone in one of those situations, you know, and I'm sure people listening or watching this, you know, from, from all different backgrounds, they're trying to figure out how, how to get ahead and, 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 you know, to be successful and to make something and not let things, def, you know, stop them or define them. And I had a podcast with a guy the other day and he was like, uh, came from like, you know, an Indian background and he was saying, he still has problems, you know, being treated a certain way based on, based on certain things, you know, you think, you know, even though he's, he's doing pretty well, still facing problems.
2: Yeah. We called microaggressions in some cases, sometimes not necessarily micro, they're pretty blatant. So, so you just said something that was really interesting, Adam, about how we keep putting people in boxes and we, we want them to stay there. <laughs> right. Hmm. But, you know, that also shows up with behavior change. Like, you know, I, I have years ago, I had a conversation with a, a, a director, senior director of a, of a telecom company. And he was talking about how they were putting the women through assertiveness training, but it wasn't sticking. Hmm. It, wasn't, it really wasn't, it wasn't sustainable. And I yeah. just sat there and I listened to him. And I, you know, the thing that came into my mind is wait a minute, if they become more assertive, it's going to disrupt their family life. Mm. Because there's a certain dynamic that has been created in everybody's family life, for example, Mm. that is based upon certain behaviors. Mm. And when one person changes that behavior, that whole dynamic will change. And people are not going to, the people in that person's life may be uncomfortable with the change and mm. therefore a lot of people don't change when it comes to expanding their you know their capabilities and behaviors it's fascinating really
0: yeah no i i find i find people fascinating i find you know people interesting fascinating and in how society works and how um people you know think and, and what like you know why and um I got a book recently called sapiens I don't know if you've ever heard of it I've not read it yet but it's about like um, how you know societies how people have evolved over time and how people have changed and it's um the kind of things that we're talking about you know like you said it's um, it's been going on for some time and you know it's I think you know things are being done to, to make those changes to be more diverse you know like there's a lot more you know like on television and programs and a lot more people are given more opportunities but it's still there isn't it um but but i think in, in like in what you're doing it's it's um definitely like positive and it's definitely you know a way forward if that makes sense and i think you know a lot of people can, can def- definitely you know benefit from you know your your work that you're doing and this is you, would you say it's like you know about educating people you know if people need to be educated on these things like a well, well
2: yes and no our primary business is to go into an organization and do an assessment hmm. um so we we set we have a set of statements That we ask people to um, rate their agreement to, to, you know, on a scale of one to ten, to what degree do you agree with this statement? And we we have it's a whole bank of statements. So we administer that to everybody in the organization, the C-suite, you know, the executives, the senior leaders, the middle, the middle managers, and the staff level. And what we find is there is a significant uh, disconnect between the way the different positions view or agree, the degree to which they, um, they believe or perceive that to be true, as well as gender, as well as race, as well as sexual orientation. There is a tremendous disconnect. So. Until people can see that there's no reality behind it, the people who who perceive it, you know, rate those statements lower. They all know that, but it's the decision makers within the organization that have to see that, because it, because it's it's the C-suite actually who sets the culture of the organization, and until they step up to the plate and say, you know what, we have a problem, and they're honest about it. It's like owning it, becoming aware of it. The data gives them the awareness. Owning is a whole nother question. We're not, chi- we're not cheap, but we're also not expensive when we go in and do these projects. But And I always say to an organization, unless the CEO is involved in it, and unless you're really committed to acting on the recommendations that we make based upon your data, don't, don't do it. Hmm. don't don't waste the money yeah because it's going to fail and if it fails it will do more harm to your organization than it will do good it Hmm. will it will contribute to to it'll impact your brand it'll impact Hmm. your employee morale it will impact employee trust in you don't do Hmm. it so hmm?
0: No, i agree. I'm saying that's it, yeah.
2: So when, when you asked about educating, the data educates. Mm. The recommendations that, are, that we make based upon the data, educate. Implementing the changes sometimes require educating the, the, the staff and the managers. Sometimes it requires, you know, we were, I was talking about this the other day with somebody that, you know, how do you, how do you hold people accountable for actually implementing, you know, for being more diverse in their hiring practice, et cetera? Well, I said, your workplace systems can force that change without really changing anybody. It's like, how do you evaluate somebody for a promotion? Well, you make sure you have clearly articulated, quantifiable competencies that you, and you use those competencies to evaluate everybody to the best of your ability. But at least you have something that's objective in order to be said, gee, does so-and-so do X, Y, Z? If they do, then then they should be promoted. But if, you, if it's kind of squishy, well, I know this person kind of like them, yeah, blah, 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 and they'll be promoted. I mean, I can tell you, women, will te- women have said men less qualified than them have been promoted, and they've been left behind. And that is true of people of color, because there mm. are all these barriers. So the first thing is, number one, knowing where you are. Mm. And there's a certain educational process in it, and it's painful. It's just painful when you find out you're not as perfect as you think you ought to be. You know, organizations, it's painful to find out where they're at. Mm. And then once you know where you're at and you have a level of awareness, then you can build a strategy around that. And Mm. then you can use that as a way of checking back and saying, gee, are we really making progress? Because if you don't have a baseline, you can't evaluate progress. You, as I said very early on, you can't evaluate, progress, nor can you map out a relevant um, sustainable strategy. Hmm. But you know, a lot of companies will go and talk about unconscious bias training, which I, I think is good for changing awareness. But the reality hmm. is, and the, and the research is showing, that it, it's not, it's not sustained. It's not sustainable. So the real question is, how do you shift that then? So I take the approach of a, developing an inclusive mindset. You know, if you are inclusive in the way you view the world or you operate, you're going to be less biased. So there you know, there are basically, there are five pillars to this you know, the, the foundation is built upon self-awareness. You know, we have to observe ourselves. Yeah, you know, anybody who's a good leader, in fact, that's part of emotional intelligence is knowing where you're at, knowing your own triggers, knowing your own blind spots, knowing, knowing, knowing about yourself. And when you know about yourself and you know this, you're a coach, Adam, mm. then when you have greater awareness about yourself, then you are more tuned into other people. And what their needs are what gets them motivated okay and it's not to say that you apply your own stuff to them it's just that you have a heightened awareness so that's the foundation and then the five pillars are curiosity rather than closing something down ask a question oh tell me more or a, a new idea comes at you said mm, i haven't thought about that tell me how you arrived at that or why you're thinking that so it's curiosity. And these things are things, everybody has curiosity. It's just use it. You know, the other is communication intelligence. You know, there's a, being, you know, it's being savvy about the different styles of communicating. Some people are introverted. They're not going to be yakking all the time like me. You know, they aren't. They're just going to sit there and they need time to process. It doesn't mean that they're not engaged, but it's like, that's a a point of savvy. Or seeing when somebody's dominating conversation because they have a need to control. Well, how do you manage that? Okay, so that's that's communication intelligence. The other is collaboration. We know how to play together. You know, we know how, you know, there's greater strength in numbers. The more people who can, yeah, I mean, it can be also chaotic. But the more input you have, the better the outcome. So collaboration. The other is commitment. You really have to kind of be committed to this. So yeah, this is important enough where I'm going to pay attention. But everybody knows what it is to be committed, except maybe men with relationships. They have commitment phobia. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but you know, it's like everybody yeah. knows. Everybody knows what it is to be committed. You're committed to what you're doing, right? Yeah. And then courage. No. Courage. It takes courage to step out of your comfort zone. It takes courage mm. to engage people that are not necessarily like you. It takes courage to be self-aware. It mm. took you courage to do your podcasting yeah so yeah. everybody knows these things we're, um, we're not saying we're not introducing anything that's new it's just use it
0: i think i so i really i really do agree with you know the point she made and i think i find it i find it really interesting you know what we're talking about you know i'm interested in people and how people work and how systems work and businesses and it's almost like you know people kind of know this deep down but they don't kind of think about it or see it do you you know what i mean it's there but people don't kind of choose to see if that makes sense is that that right i mean oh
2: absolutely well they get lazy and that's the commitment yeah
0: or they're afraid
2: or they're afraid
0: that that, but that's that's one of the things i touch on like I think like, do you think like a lot of these issues and things that happen in society and businesses and processes, but people are ultimately afraid to speak out, communicate or change it and all of those kind of like things. Because I think like all those key points are like, you know, true and in, in key.
2: Well, um, I, actually I was having conversations with somebody else about sexual harassment <clears throat> only 30% of the women will report sexual harassment that means 70% of the women have been sexually harassed and they don't say anything to their companies about it, because of the fear of retribution the fear of retaliation
1: mm-hmm.
2: the fear of being fired
1: mm-hmm.
2: because it takes it's a it's a high risk thing to do yeah especially if, if it's a, a leader in the organization. Who do you think they're going to listen to?
0: Yeah. You know? well, that. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't go down a rabbit hole, but there was that thing with, you know, like, Weinstein many minutes ago, you know, and, and that all came out, and then you think, like, someone of power or no notoriety, no it's that intimidation, because it's like, you know, they, what, what are they going to do if I do say something, and Exactly. I, I saw it with men as well. Like, some there were some men, I don't, I don't know what the, the percentage was, but men who were being assaulted or abused by their, you know, their wives or their partner. And they was not reporting it to the police because, you know, they're embarrassed because it's like, you know, men being, you know, attacked or, or whatever, you know, like this. It's, um, it, it just kind of shows you why, not why, it, it shows you that you know, how kind of vulnerable people can be, if that makes sense, and that, you know, they do ultimately have a choice to, to decide, you know, people have a voice, if that makes sense, but people don't use their voice because of fear and...
2: Yeah, right, it, exactly. Because again, it, it can be very challenging. It can be, it can challenge the, uh, it can be disruptive to the status quo, but you see what happens. You know, if people don't have an opportunity, I mean, this is what I'm observing. Yeah, there's a certain point when people say, I've had enough. Enough is enough. And then they and then they become real aggressive about it. Mm. You know, because they stuffed and stuffed and stuffed so, so long that they don't want to stuff anymore.
0: Mm. And as well, like, in your work and what you do, I bet it's rewarding when you do you see companies improve and evolve and change and adapt and turn it around if that makes sense or um they 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 you go in there and you you, you do these you know examinations and tests and, and they and they they shift and change you know like have you seen that happen quite a lot it must you know be nice to to see that and to see these you know little improvements things
2: i i do a happy dance
0: first yeah. of
2: all <laughs> I do, I do a happy dance when they hire us, because it means yeah. they're, that they're really going to do something about it. Hmm. I, we had one client that had to hire, that had to do something about it because their environment was so toxic. It was so bad that the CEO was fired, because he was the one who was creating the toxic. Tux- <sighs> hmm. So he, he was fired, and they knew they had to do something, but they didn't know where to begin. So I was happy that. So the when we are hired, that's what to me that that makes all the difference in the world, and I really do a happy dance. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they they want to do something, and then the next happy dance happens when they start. They develop their implementation strategy. Yeah. Okay, and then. You know when they continue and, and uh, continue and implement they implement some of the recommendations and that they see a, a significant change absolutely mm. absolutely
0: yeah no that's that's fine
2: yeah i mean it, it's like i can't i i think i was born with a i know i was born with a high degree of social conscience and part of it was because of my upbringing, I was, I was always outside.
0: What was I what, what was that?
2: I was always outside looking in. Yeah. But people didn't know that, but I knew it. Mm. You know, so, you know, it, 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 it cuts very close to who I am.
1: Mm.
2: You know, and plus, I, I just think we're robbing it. Robbing each other, or robbing ourselves of fabulous opportunities. I think businesses yeah. are robbing themselves. I mean, by thinking that millennials or X, uh, Gen Z have nothing to contribute, they have a tremendous amount to contribute, you know. Or thinking that the boomers, you know, the old people, have nothing to say. We have great wisdom. I've got news for you, young tykes. We've got great wisdom. <laughs> Yeah. That you can leverage. So you don't yeah. have to go through, you don't have to go through the pains we had to go through. Mm. You know. I mean like actually the CEO the CEO yeah. of, of uh, GE made a comment to me as uh, we were parting company he said, you know, I'm concerned that the younger women are just kind of blowing it off. They're not as committed as far as women in the workplace as the older generation. And I looked at them, I said, yeah, because they, they've they got had a lot of latitude that women like me have not. Had not.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know? Because it's a different time.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? And I think like people from different generations, you know, as you said, we have all got their own you know, wisdom and and uh, part to kind of give if that makes sense. And I think this is like I see it I see it in the media a lot, especially with Gen Z. You know, my, my younger brothers are Gen Z. You know, I'm I'm millennial. I was born in ninety four. So it's it's interesting to you know at the dinner table maybe or we're having a conversation, I'll make a point or I'll say something and then I see their point and it's like, it's very strong. It's very different sometimes. And sometimes we clash and sometimes we agree. And But, it, I, but like, I think what you mentioned, like Gen Z, very much think about the planet, the world, um, ethics. There's a lot of that. Um, it, it's interesting. It's interesting how we're all different, but I think like what you said, like you as a, you know, growing up looking from the outside in, I think that's 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 definitely a gift, and that's definitely you know a strength, you know, to be able to do that. Because I think that, you know, yes, a lot of people, a lot of people, the people out there who do do that, but I think you know, like a lot of people who don't, that makes sense. But I think if you can look from the outside in and see it from different angles and perspectives, that's definitely a strength where you can go in into situations and help people because sometimes people have kind of you know, but like a racehorse, they've got the blinders on. Yeah.
2: So uh, two things about that. One, uh, many years ago when I was in college, I had this experience where uh, these people said to me, we were so blinded by our goals, we didn't see what was in front of us. So we do get blinded by our goals. And then we it, exactly what you said, we have the blinders on. So you're absolutely right. But the problem is when we have the blinders on, that's all we see. We can't see anything else. And that limits our ability to maybe even accomplish a goal. Mm. Sometimes you have to have the blinders on. There's no question about it. Yeah. But most of the time we don't. Or at least have them, you know, see-through. So you can
0: yes. see.
2: Yes. Yeah. You know, have I've, some holes in it or some, you know, yeah. Cuts, whatever. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is I took, a, when I was taking a painting, I was taking a painting class. And, and it's so part of it was you do your thing and then you present it to the rest of the class and you hold it upside down or you, you know, you you paint it one way, you flip it upside down, all yeah. different ways to see what it looks like. And that's exactly what you were saying. That, you know, when you do it, when you look at things from all angles, you get a very different perspective.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's it. It's- you see things more open as they are, you know, and, and wider. And I'm trying to, I remember with that, when I used to work, I won't go talk too much, but I remember that, I used to see that when I used to work in um, a hotel, you know, I used to work like washing dishes for a while. And I would see things in a different perspective because I was kind of like, you know, the kind of the foundations that, doing the dishes, you see you see how everything works from that angle, that perspective. And right. I think that's that if I'm just going to like you know, similar point to you, it's so you see it in a different lens almost more than a, in an open lens. I think it's yeah, like you said, sometimes you you have to have the blinkers on, sometimes you don't. And I think if if you if you are then it's probably being able to check in with yourself and, and to touch base, you know, be able to come back to seeing you know, seeing things as they are, because I've, would you say that's kind of like why a lot of businesses maybe you know possibly fail because sometimes you know people are so goal orientated on the goal and the money and everything else that they miss all the other things kind of going on, on on you know around it.
2: So you, there's that um, very famous uh, business uh, case study around the um, railroads. Do you know about that?
0: The railroads with uh, where where's this?
2: No, it's a business case.
0: Oh, sorry, no, bu- no.
2: Case study around railroads.
0: No, I've never heard of it. <laughs> that they were
2: they were dominant. They were dominant, you know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and then they then they lost their dominance when when other modes of transportation came along, specifically the car and the truck trucks. And the problem was. <clears throat> That they defined themselves as a railroad, so they lost market share. They lost business. But had they defined themselves as a transportation company of moving moving items from point A to point B, they would have been more able to integrate the new technology, cars. And so now, when you look at railroads, they have box, uh, you know, truck. Uh, box, box, whatever they call them, from truck, <laughs> loaded on flatbeds, because the railroads can take them a certain place that the trucks might not be able to do Do that. Mm. So that's how they, they had to change their model. And so you're absolutely right. It's Adam, when you say, you, who are you? You know, what is your business? I mean, you think about Nike, for example, Mm. They were you know if they defined themselves only as a sneaker company or running shoe company, they wouldn't have diversified in the way they did mm. so in in some ways that's who we are you know are we willing to diversify ourselves
1: mm. and
2: adapt, or do we become like the dinosaur and die?
0: Mm.
2: you know that's always our that's our choice,
0: yeah. It's quite, it's quite powerful, isn't it, when you think of it like that? Because it's, it's how it is. And I think it's um, you know, being able to adapt and, and um, improvise in, in, um, in how society moves forward, isn't it?
2: Yes. And, and when you're in business, the whole notion of business now is that it's such a rapidly changing business environment mm-hmm.
1: that you
2: have to be agile. You know they talk about agile. You know, um, ag- agile as far as technology goes. You know, which is the ability to turn on the dime. You know, mm-hmm. how can you respond quickly in a mm-hmm. business? You know, in a business setting again, that's where diversity is really important. You know, uh, I- IDO which is um, an industrial design group. Yeah. That was that's quite famous here in the U.S. And I re- remember ABC, again ABC, followed them.
1: I, You know, I
2: gave them a project to create a new shopping cart, grocery shopping cart in five days, a brand new one. And their design team consisted of instructional designers, mechanical engineers, a med student, a philosopher, women, men, older people, younger people, from all different backgrounds, in order to come up with a new concept. And it was fascinating to watch it. And so in five days, they came up with a whole new shopping cart.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? You know, people collaborating from different backgrounds, different expertise, different walks life and then kind of all come together and create something and i and i like watching documentaries like that um or programs if you know there's people from all different mixers and backgrounds and they make something or create something
2: right. it's
0: um, it's it's really it, it's quite magical isn't it you know because they're all collaborating and using their expertise and their experiences to kind of come together to to do something like that and i think that's great right. and um,
2: it, it's, just, it's fascinating. So bringing it back to inclusion and exclusion,
1: mm-hmm. if
2: we exclude people because they don't think the same way, because, you know, because they don't look like us, they don't have the same educational pedigree, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we, can't, we, we really don't grow. But when mm-hmm. we include, we have the opportunity to be more agile,
1: mm-hmm.
2: to be more creative, for companies to be more profitable. Because it, 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 you know, inclusion, you, you, when people feel as if they're included or that they belong, they'll have greater employee retention. They'll be able to attract top talent. They will increase their brand, um, brand uh, reputation. I, I mean, it just goes on and on and on as to what the benefits are to thinking outside the box that's really all it is mm.
1: Mm.
2: so you know and it has to do with what's your mindset
1: mm. are you
2: curious you know are you are you savvy enough to understand the value of differences and to be able to leverage those differences as communication being one an example mm. Mm. are you are you so stuck in thinking that you know all the answers mm. you know that you're not willing to invite other people to collaborate with you you know, are you are you so committed to your own idea that nobody else exists? So committed, or are you committed to saying, oh yeah, other people exist in their new perspectives? And do you have the courage to step out of your comfort zone?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And companies, well, let me give you, I, you know, I I was I, I'm so pissed off at companies, organizations. Mm-hmm. Right now, because this is working at home, what's happening is they are losing women who have young kids who have kids. Forty percent of the women are thinking about losing the workforce, leaving the workforce. Forty percent in the U.S. And guess who? Guess gets guess who earns the largest number of college degrees. Mm-hmm women guess guess what percentage of the population we're in, we are in we comprise about 50 percent
1: yeah
2: and, and so when you know the whole paradigm of where people where, you know where people are going to be working has shifted because of COVID right so yeah,
1: org-
2: yeah right so organizations are all of a sudden saying hey it's okay to work from home in fact it works and in fact we can save money because we don't have to have as large an office space as we had previously right they may do hybrid they may do you know working you know they just don't need the same office space so they're saving money there why don't they take that money and help subsidize subsidize childcare so they don't lose the women
0: mm yeah no definitely it's it's definitely really great points and i and i and I agree and I think you know like a lot of women may be struggling to work from home because you know school run you know school and kids and it's more you know probably more difficult and probably more you know more stressful and there's all of these things that kind of intertwine that you know need to be addressed and looked at. And, I, and I, I think it's definitely something that is such, you know, important topic. And, um, you know, hopefully through people having conversations like this and, you know, listening to this kind of thing, that's fine. Listening to the, you know, this, you know, think about it, you know, and, um, kind of put, put in some work to make those changes, you know, right. um, I would I would talk more, but my phone is about on about five percent. Um, okay. But but it's it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, Julia. And I you know I really really enjoyed touching base and talking about you know the topics that we've covered. I think the really in depth, and I think you know the really in, informative, and people you know will take a lot from things you know we've we've spoken about and. You know, I really admire you for the work that you do and that you care about, you know, these things that are ongoing in life. And, you know, I wish you continued success in what you're doing. And, you know, I look forward to having you back on the podcast again to talk about different topics as well. And um, where can people find you on like social media or your website or email? kind of thing.
2: The, my email is Julia J U L I A dot G E I S M A N at Career Agility.com. The website is www career-agility.com, obviously. Um, the Twitter, I'm in LinkedIn. You can people can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm posting all the time on articles. I have the Twitter account, there are two different Twitter accounts. One is Julia Geisman, all one word. And the other is your career agility. Um, and no, I don't do Instagram, sorry.
0: Yeah, not, nice one.
2: No, no, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, the other thing too is I am certainly open to, you know, doing some 30 minute coaching with companies. Yeah. And they want some advice, you know, um, I'll be glad to do that.
1: So yeah, I can talk yeah.
2: further with them or even individuals. I can do, you know, a brief session with them and then see where things go. But the main yeah. thing is you got to have a baseline. Mm. You got to know where you where you are in order to know where you're going.
1: Mm.
2: So anyway, but Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I i hope that we can talk. Oh, I have a plethora of topics, <laughs> I have a lot of dots in my head,
0: yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> lots of lots of
0: dots.
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, whenever if ever you want to, you know, reach out again, let me know,
0: yeah, yeah, no, of course, no, definitely. I think you know, I definitely you'll know, have you on the show again, we can definitely talk, touch base on you know, other topics you have in mind as well. And yeah, I'll definitely put all your details and everything you um, mentioned just now in the bio for people to get in touch with you. And yeah, I, 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 you know, I've had a great time talking to you and I, I look forward to next time and wish you all the best.
2: Well, thank you. And um, I'll see you, as they say, around the ranch. They say
0: yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. You take care.
2: Thanks.
0: Take care. Got it, Adam, got it. Partivity, 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 Tune in. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the if you'd like to see more of my content, you can find me on YouTube at The Positive City Podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Positivity 94 And what I'm going to do is put my landing page link in my bio. So if you press this link, you'll get access to all of my content in one place. So, if you also have any questions, want to provide any feedback for the podcast, please email me at thepositivitypodcast at gmail.com. Now, let's get into this episode and enjoy.